Do you know how many people die in the United States every year? Let me just think your best guess in your head. Two and a half million people. That's a lot of people. Two and a half million. So roughly 7,000 people every day wake up for the last time in their lives. Now, now, death is nothing for the person who dies. Death is passing through a door. I mean, I suppose you could argue it depends on how you die. But it is really nothing more than a passageway. What really matters is what's on the other side of the door. You know, this isn't just the end of this book that we're approaching. But as we continue to study, we find that there is yet a future date for the unsaved of all times. There is no getting out of it because you died hundreds of years before it. And you know what the oddest thing about that fact is? Is that in light of that truth that people will face if they have rejected Christ in their life, an eternity of suffering that is yet unknown to man. And the odd thing of all of that is this, is that heaven is rejoicing at that. Is that not puzzling to you? Take a look. Here in chapter 19 and verse 1, I mean, it's all coming down here. And there is a celebration in heaven. And they are praising the Lamb, Jesus, for his wrath on sinners. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Means praise God. Yahweh, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And just to pause for a moment to remind ourselves, when we think of God and we think of his attributes, Let's be honest, we, we think of his mercy, and we ought to, and his grace, and his kindness, and his goodness, and his power. But if you leave out his holiness, wrath, and justice, my friends, you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. Your picture of him is incomplete. Because God is just as glorified in his wrath as he is in his mercy. I know, friends, that one's hard to wrap your brain around. But here it is. For God is glorified in all of his attributes. He is perfectly holy, and evil will be punished. And even from the depths of our heart, we have reflected that. When we open up... uh, 
uh, our browser and we're reading the news, whether it's opening the big page or if it's online or on your phone, and you've read about some horrific deed wrought out into someone's life without care, compassion, nothing but cruelty, and from your heart of hearts you've cried out, they should pay. And while it is God's job to mete out that perfect justice, it is the cry of a heart that things be done right. And yet, and that second thought that follows that, and what about me? We cry out for God's mercy. And sometimes arrogantly, we think we deserve it. But here we are, this great celebration in heaven where people are getting what's fair and some are not. I want to give you a hint, friends. Don't go for fair. Go for mercy. Go for God's grace. Celebration in heaven here in verses 1 to 10. We, we began here. We noticed they're praising the Lamb for His, his wrath. And uh, at the end of uh, verse 2, well, here we are in verse 2, we find the reason for his judgment. You know, his judgments, they are true and they are just. They are based perfectly on truth. There is no bias in his judgments here, my friends. It is not a corrupt judge. He is not a blinded judge. He judges perfectly. And the reason for his judgment is A, that these people have corrupted the earth. He has judged the great prostitute. Remember, the, uh, this is a, a world system in, uh, held up by the Antichrist, and God has put an end to it. And he has judged that great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And I notice again, and uh, another reason for the judgment is the murdering of the saints of God. And see, as we continue on in verse 2, we read, And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And so the payment day has come. And so after looking at the reasons for his judgments, we see once again rejoicing over his judgments. And once more they cry out, Praise to Yahweh! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders. And you know what the 24 elders, come on, we've been doing this for weeks. What are the 24 elders doing? They're falling down and worshiping. It's what they do. And the four living creatures, they fall down and worship God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, praise to Yahweh, hallelujah. And from the throne came a great voice saying, praise our God, all ye servants, and you who fear him, small and great. And so the celebration in heaven begins oddly with praising God for his justice. And friends, what would we have if we did not have a just God? If he is not just, then he is evil. If he winks an eye and makes judgments and shows favor to some... But the praising continues here in verse 6. They're praising the Lamb for His marriage. 
notice here in verse 6, then when I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out once again, friends, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, and he reigns at last. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Remember this word bride is used metaphorically, friends. When the the scripture is talking about the bride here, he's talking about you. The church is the bride of Christ. And the exaltation is about to begin. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Verse 7. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's pause for a moment here. Let us remember that there will be a day as we the church will gather together with Jesus and there will be a great celebration. And what it is that we will be wearing is this fine linen that represents our actions for him here on earth. So I'm guessing there will be some that perhaps have these great long flowing robes and others who are hiding behind a few people because their deeds were few. Because serving Christ was one of those things for a later day. Serving Him and standing up for Him was too risky at this t- their time in this life for a later date in a new place when I take care of some of these other things. And here they are. And the celebration is taking place. And verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this. Write this down. Make sure you don't miss this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember that word blessing doesn't mean a good thing that happened one day. It is God bestowing upon someone his goodness and his favor. His favor is another word for his grace. Giving to us what we do not deserve. And he said to me these words. These are the true words of God. They're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These words are true. The true words of God. And notice his response. And then he fell down at his feet. Worshipped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. This isn't the first time this has happened. As you see, there are good students of the Scriptures. You know that this happens a lot. People falling down at the feet of angels. They just say, come on, guys, get this right. Get up here. Not me, him. You're going to worship anyone. It is to be God. Hmm, for the testimony of Jesus. Hmm. And so this little bit of a rebuke. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
And so we have, we have witnessed uh, in this uh, chapter here this celebration in heaven that God is victorious over his enemies. Victory is won. And the celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb when the church is gathered together with their, their groom, Jesus. Celebration is great, my friends. But now the focus leaves heaven down onto earth. And we have this confrontation on earth. Verse 11, we see the appearance of heaven's king. Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Friends, it is Jesus. And we see his appearance. Take a look at his apparel, verse 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And so the armies of heaven, the armies of heaven's king. And on his robe, verse 16, and on his thigh, he had his name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And while this confrontation is about to take place, we see the participants in this battle laid out. Jesus on his horse, a white horse fit for battle and victory. And the one sitting on it, he is faithful and true. His apparel of the armies, fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. Again, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And look at here in verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Here we have the avenging of the heaven's king. Jesus defeats his enemies here in verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And then I saw the beast And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on this horse. Sitting on this horse. And the beast was captured. So Jesus defeats his enemies here in 17 to 19. But here in verse 20, we see that Jesus damns his enemies. For all those who withstood him, quietly or loudly... You know what I'm saying. The people in the silent, in the back, they don't talk much, but inside they say, no, I will not bow to him. Will not put my trust in him. 
can do it my own way. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. Or those who stand up and put their nose this close to yours and say, he's a fraud. He's a fairy. He does not exist. And one day they will face him. And he will defeat them. And notice verse 20. And the beast, remember the beast is the Antichrist. He was captured. And whither the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had already received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It is the sign of a great battle where many, many are, are dead. I did not serve in the military, and some of you maybe have a very clear picture of what that looks like. But it is a time of, of great defeat. And the kingdom of God is established on the earth. Look at here in verse 20. The seven-year period of tribulation. Three and a half years of relative peace. But midway through... Three and a half years in, a covenant that was made with Israel, a covenant of peace is now broken by the Antichrist. He moves into the temple. He presents himself as God and demands to be worshipped. The Antichrist is now on the scene. This time is known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus referred to it as a time of great suffering and at the end of these seven years, Jesus returns. His feet touch the Mount of Olives, and that mount splits from east to west. And there, he fights a great battle and defeats all of his enemies. Seven-year period, known as the Great Tribulation, friends, has come to an end. What happens next? is what we find here in chapter 20. The first thing we notice is a great chain. We notice the, the prisoner in the chain here. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon. Remember, that's the devil, Satan, the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Notice the repetition of this word here. A thousand years. And so we see the prisoner. Then take a look at the prison. And he threw him in a pit and shut it and sealed it over him. The prisoner of Satan, the prison is this pit that is locked, shut, and sealed. And notice the purpose so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. And that, that phrase right there, that he might not deceive the nations any longer, indicates that that's exactly what he has been doing. Certainly in that seven-year period of tribulation, and no doubt even happening today, but he might, that he might not deceive the nations any longer until, and here it is again, the thousand years 
were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. And so, if you look at the prophets of the whole Old Testament, and even when Jesus came, those who had studied it expected this conquering king who would establish his kingdom on the earth. And it's why they would reject him, uh, certainly out of jealousy, but he was not the guy they were expecting. They were looking for a warrior, not a rabbi. They were looking for not one who would come to serve. But all of those prophets who talked about a day, this is what John here is seeing, that day when Jesus establishes his kingdom on the earth. And it is a great reign. Notice verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And also I saw the souls of those who had had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And so we we see this this, this, uh, resurrection, the reign of the just. Then they came to life and they reigned. They came to life and they reigned. And they reigned with Christ once again for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. And so who has been raised? Those who had been beheaded. Those who gave testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. They did not worship the beast. Hmm. And so we have tribulation saints who had died. And here they are given thrones. Hmm. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is a period of time known as the millennium. Millennium, thousand years. Okay, If you know your metrics, it makes perfect sense. But a thousand year, the millennium period, the time of the earthly reign of Christ on this earth. And so the resurrection of the just has taken place and the reign of the just followed by the unexpected because everyone who enters into this millennial kingdom is redeemed, is saved. They are followers of Christ regardless of of how they got there. Satan is bound, that that great chain in the pit, and it's sealed. And for a thousand years, believers, this is the time when the lion is laying down with the lamb. And the the lifespan moving beyond 70, 80, 90, even a hundred to hundreds of years. It It is a glorious time when Jesus is reigning on the earth. Surrounded by nothing but believers. And yet, here in verse 7, 
in the midst of this great rain, or perhaps at the end of this great rain, there will be a great revolt. And you say, how's that possible? I mean, these are all good guys. Except over this thousand-year period of time, people will be married and have children. And those children will have children. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. And we have the adversary once again who leads, even during this period of time, at the end, the apostasy. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them from battle or for battle. And their number is like the sand of the sea. So even from, remember, God has no grandchildren. Each one of us must choose for himself whether or not we will trust in Christ. No one can choose for us. It doesn't matter the good people you're standing around, the good friendships and even the good dialogues that you can have. You can talk about religion day after day, night and day. You can talk a good game, friends. But a relationship with God begins by faith in Him. Only those who have put their faith in Christ have the Spirit of God indwelling them. And there will be children who will reject Christ, perhaps quietly, perhaps not so quietly. And judgment will come. And there will be great justice. And notice in verse 9, and they, the, their attack, we, we see the adversary, he is released, and the apostasy that he begins, and then the attack of verse 9. And they march up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And then their annihilation, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with a beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is not a period to change their hearts, friends. It is a permanent destiny for those who reject Jesus. And notice the great justice. Verse 11. First, we notice in the final exhibition of great justice, the judge. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And here are the judged. And when I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. This is the great white throne judgment. This judgment will be occupied by only those who have rejected Jesus. This is the ultimate, final decision based on their lives, my friends. If you have trusted Jesus, this will not be a judgment for you, my friends. But this great white throne on him who was seated on it, 
He begins the judgment. And in verse 12 tells us, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and these books are opened. We have a couple of books here. We have this, this book of life. And the, the dead were judged by what was written in these books. And notice, based on according to what they had done. Now, who's going to be there? Notice verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead. We're talking about the grave. And there is this resurrection of the dead that takes place. And the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, once again repeated, according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This reading this can be a bit stunning. I mean, we're wrestling to try and get a hold on what. What is this saying? What does this mean? And even when we come to a point, we say, "Hey, wait a minute! This is the day we know about. This is a day when we will face the music if we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ." Now we don't trust in Jesus. So we don't have to go to hell. We trust in Jesus because we know he is a great Savior. Because he has now made a way for us to be reconciled to God and to live with him. This is not about hell. This is about love. But for those who will not bend the knee to Jesus, who will not accept his great sacrifice by faith, Say, I'll figure it out myself. I like my life the way it is. People joke about it. (laughs) Ha ha, I'm going to hell and me and my friends will take over. (laughs) And it's nonsense. You say, yeah, but this could be a long way out. It doesn't matter where you are, dead or alive. God will bring you right out of the grave. You drown in a lake, he'll bring you back up. You burn in a fire, he'll put you back together. But my friend, if you stand against God, one day you will stand before God. And there will be no more time for you to make a decision about him. The only decision that will be made is his decision about you. Death is not the issue, friends. It's what comes next. When I think about this, if I have not put my faith in Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, it'd make my toes curl. Because there is no way out, there is no argument, there is no defending of yourself. As you stand before him, the decision is already made. And in our finite minds, all we think about is life and death. So what is he going to do, kill us? No, it doesn't end, friends. You see, that's the problem. You offend an eternal God, you receive an eternal judgment. Verses 14 and 15 tell us death and Hades 
were thrown into the lake of fire. This book of life, this Lamb's book of life, are all of those whom have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Written before the foundation of the world. God knows whom He selected. And you know how you know? Because you're trusting Him right now. Because something in your heart cries out to Him. When you realize what you deserve, and friends, that's what we deserve. Eternal suffering. Not bad parking. Eternal suffering. Not that really annoying cold that never goes away. You know, all those world problems that we face day after day. Friends, we're talking about separated from all of his goodness, all of his kindnesses. The things that we take advantage of, we take it for granted day after day. The colors in the sunset, how the warmth feels when you walk through the door and the sun hits you. And while you look away, you don't run away. All of those wonderful kindnesses of someone who smiles to you. When you're checking out at the grocery store and that person seems especially kind and it makes your life oh so much better. And there is nothing, nothing like that. Nothing like that in this lake of fire. And it never ends. You remember Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man? That rich man lived sumptuously. What a wonderful world arrogantly and wealthily. He had everything he wanted and as much as he could use and more. And there was Lazarus sitting at his gate hoping for a few crumbs. Jesus says, they both died. And this wealthy man, not because he was wealthy, my friends, but because he was arrogant, he ended up in hell. This lake of fire, this suffering. And, and there, there, was, there was Lazarus, this, this poor, poor man. And he was in the bosom of, of Abraham. Send Lazarus over him, dip his finger. Oh, that nasty finger. Oh, my goodness. I don't want that in my mouth. Come here, let's try this. I'll just stick my clean. No, it's clean now. That's disgusting. Am I right? Are you not disgusted right now? That's how despicably horrible hell will be. Just let him dip his finger in water to bring some kind of refreshment. No, there's no passing from here to there. There's no hope in hell. There's no recess. It's just suffering. And then this, this nameless man who must have been so popular on earth just cried out. Well, send him. Send him, my brothers. That they don't end up in a place like this. And you know what Jesus told him? They have the word of God. Moses and the prophets. 
And if they won't listen to that, then even if a man should rise from the dead, they will not believe. Friends, God has sent you note after note, message after message. For heaven's sake, you're here listening to this sermon even today. And the word is turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins and to give you a new life. And it's that simple. But even now, your heart hardens. Even now, your neck is stiff. And quietly you sit there. And you still don't believe. God's wrath is perfectly just, my friends. We, those who reject Jesus will get exactly what they deserve. There will be no argument or denial. And God's wrath brings him just as much glory as his mercy will, friends. But I ask you this morning, in which book is your name written? The book with your list of sinful deeds? Or the Lamb's book of life that is one more sign of your inheritance of Jesus. And the only difference is this, trusting in Christ. Trusting in Him. Friends, don't don't leave here without making it right with Him. Don't, Don't leave. Don't walk out this door. I know even now some of you are pushing it away and you're saying it's nonsense. I can't believe that. No, it's not. It can't be true. Some of you bought the lie. No, God is too nice. God, God is a nice God and he would never do that. I'm pleading with you today. Trust in Jesus.